Section 14 of History of the Catholic Church from the Renaissance to the French Revolution by Reverend James McCaffrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The question of the succession to the French throne became serious for both parties. Henry III was childless, and on the death of the heir apparent, his brother, the Duke of Anjou, Alencon, 1584, the succession developed apparently on Henry, King of Navarre, but as he was a Calvinist, the Catholics were unwilling to recognize him. The League declared Cardinal de Bourbon, son of the Duke of Vendôme, as the lawful heir to the French throne, though many of its out-and-out -out supporters were in favor of the Duke of Guise. An attempt was made to get the approval of the Pope for the League and its policy, but George Thirteenth and Sixtus V were not inclined to support its pretensions. At the earnest request of Spain, the latter, however, issued a constitution in 1585, by which he declared that Henry of Navarre and the Prince de Condé, as notorious heretics, excommunicated by the Church, had forfeited all claim to the throne of France. Henry of Navarre lodged a solemn protest in Rome, and he appealed to the Parliament of Paris, which refused to approve of the publication of the papal document. Both sides had recourse once more to arms, and the Huguenots under the leadership of Henry of Navarre were victorious in the Battle of Coutras, 1587. The League, however, continued the struggle, captured some of the principal cities, such as Lyons, Orleans, and Borges, while Henry III favored both parties in turn. Overawed by the successful exploit of the Duke of Guise, he pledged himself to put down the Huguenots, and the French people were called upon by royal proclamation to swear that they would never accept a heretic as their king, 1588. But in his heart Henry III favored the cause of the king of Navarre, if for no other reason because he wished to escape from the dictatorship of the Duke of Guise. In 1588 he procured the murder of the two greatest leaders of the League, Henry, Duke of Guise, and his brother, Louis, the Cardinal Archbishop of Lyons. This outrage drew upon him the wrath of the League and of the great body of the French Catholics. Charles de Lorraine, brother of the murdered Duke of Guise, put himself at the head of the king's enemies. Sixtus V issued a strong condemnation of the murder of the Cardinal Archbishop, and the Sorbonne declared that the nation no longer owed any allegiance to the king. The war was renewed vigorously on both sides the league being supported by philip the second of spain and its opponents by protestant troops from germany and switzerland while the combined forces of henry the third and of the king of navarre were besieging paris henry the third was assassinated fifteen eighty nine thereupon henry of navarre had himself proclaimed king of france under the title of henry the fourth but the League refused to recognize his claims, and put forward instead the aged Cardinal de Bourbon, then a prisoner in the hands of the King of Navarre. The Cardinal also was proclaimed King, Charles X. Spain, too, refused to acknowledge Henry IV, and assisted the League with both money and soldiers. The Popes, Sixtus V, Gregory XVIII, and Clement VIII, adopted an attitude of great reserve. While they were not inclined to support the demands of the League in their entirety, they were unshaken in their reserve to acknowledge no heretic as King of France. Henry IV, though supported by many of the moderate Catholics, thus politiques, began to recognize that as a Calvinist he could never hope for peaceful possession of the French throne. He determined, therefore, to yield to the entreaties of his most powerful supporters and to make his submission to the Catholic Church. In July 1593, 
he read a public recantation in the church of st denis and was absolved conditionally from the censures he had incurred the following year he made his formal entrance into paris where he was welcomed by the people and acknowledged as lawful king of france by the sorbonne having pledged himself to accept the decrees of the council of trent to abide by the terms of the concordat of 1516 and to rear his heir and successor as a catholic he was reconciled to the holy see the league dissolved itself in a short time and so far as catholics were concerned peace was restored to france the huguenots henry the fourth former co-religionists were deeply pained at the step taken by their leader and they insisted that their demands must be satisfied henry the fourth more anxious for the unity and welfare of france than for the triumph of either religious party determined to put an end to the civil strife by the publication of the edict of nantes 1598 the principal articles of the edict were that the calvinists should enjoy freedom of worship throughout the greater part of the kingdom that they should be eligible for all positions of honour and trust in the state that they should have for their own use the universities of montalban montpelier sedan and Saumur that the funds for the upkeep of these universities and for the maintenance of the religion should be supplied by the state and that for a period of eight years it should have possession of some of the principal fortresses on their side they engaged to break off all alliances with foreigners to allow catholic worship to be restored in the places where it had been suppressed to observe the marriage laws of the catholic church and to abstain from anything that might be regarded as a violation of catholic holidays such concessions were regarded with great disfavor by the pope the clergy and the vast majority of the french people as being opposed to the entire national tradition of france and it required all the efforts of the king to secure for them the approval of the paris parliament fifteen ninety nine similarly the calvinists were not content with what had been conceded to them nor were they willing to abide by the terms of the edict of nantes in so far as to allow the establishment of catholic worship in the places which were under their control their public attacks on the blessed eucharist and on the pope were very irritating to their countrymen but henry the fourth who was a good king deeply interested especially in the welfare of the lower classes continued to keep the peace between both parties his sympathies were however with the protestants of germany and he was actually on his way to take part in a war against the emperor when he was assassinated sixteen ten he was succeeded by his son louis the thirteenth sixteen ten to forty three who was then a boy of nine years his mother mary de medici who acted as regent approved the terms of the edict of nantes but the huguenots relying on the weakness of the government refused to carry out those portions of the edict favorable to catholics and made demand for greater privileges they rose in rebellion several times especially in the south entered into alliance with every rebel noble who took up arms against the king and acted generally as if they formed a state within a state cardinal richelieu who was for years the actual ruler of france sixteen twenty four to forty two inspired solely by political motives determined to put an end to a condition of affairs that was highly dangerous to the strength and national unity of the kingdom he saw that it was impossible for france to extend her power so long as there existed at home a well-organized body of citizens prepared to enter into treasonable relations with foreign enemies and to turn to their own advantage their country's difficulties his opportunity came when the huguenots having concluded an alliance with england rose in rebellion sixteen twenty seven he laid siege to their strongest fortress 
La Rochelle, drove back the fleet which England sent to their assistance, and compelled the city to surrender. 1628. By this strong measure he put an end to the power of the Huguenots in France, and secured peace and unity for the country, while at the same time he treated the conquered with comparative mildness, confirming the Edict of Nantes, Edict of Nimes, 1629, proclaiming a general amnesty, and restoring the leaders of the rebellion to the property and positions they had forfeited. During the reign of Louis XIV, 1643 to 1715, the whole tendency of the government was dangerous to the Huguenots. Louis XIV was determined to make himself absolute ruler of France, and therefore he could regard only with the highest disfavor the presence in his territories of a well-organized, privileged party like the Huguenots. An opportunity of carrying out his designs came in 1659, when with the approval of the Synod of Montpazier, they attempted to negotiate an alliance with England. They were punished with great severity, forbidden to preach in any place without express permission, to attack Catholic doctrines publicly, or to intermarry with Catholics. Converts from Calvinism were encouraged by promises of special concessions. Owing to the disfavor of the king and the energetic action of the clergy and bishops, whose education and culture at that time stood exceedingly high, large numbers of the Huguenots returned to the church, so that in some places, as for example in Normandy, where once they could boast of considerable influence, the sect became almost extinct. The severity of the measures taken by Louis the Fourteenth led to new rebellions, which were suppressed with great severity. Finally, in 1685, a royal proclamation appeared, announcing the revocation of all the privileges granted to the Huguenots, and more particularly, all those contained in the Edict of Nantes, 1685. The churches which they had built recently were to be destroyed, their religious assemblies were forbidden, and their clergy were offered their choice between submission to the church or exile. The Prime Minister Louvois sent soldiers to enforce this proclamation, and the unfortunate Huguenots were treated with great harshness and cruelty. Many of them, unwilling to change their religion, and unable to endure their hard lot at home, left the country and sought refuge in England, Germany, Denmark, and Holland. The revocation of the Edict of Nantes was not due to the religious zeal of Louis the Fourteenth or of his ministers. Indeed, at the very time that Louis the Fourteenth was engaged in dragooning the Huguenots into the Catholic Church, he was in bitter conflict with the Pope, and was committed to a policy that seemed destined to end in national schism. Some of the French bishops, notably Fenelon, disapproved of this attempt at conversion by violence, and Pope Innocent XI, having no representative in Paris at the time, instructed his nuncio at London to induce James II of England to bring pressure to bear on Louis Fourteenth to favor the Huguenots. Several times during the reign of Louis, the Calvinists rose in arms to defend their religion, but without effect. After his death, the decrees against them were not enforced with much severity, but it was only in 1787 that a measure of almost complete political equality was granted to them by Louis XVI. Calvinism in the Netherlands the Netherlands formed part of the vast territories ruled over by Charles V. For many reasons, it was not to be wondered at that the people should sympathize with the great religious revolt in Germany. They were allied closely with the Germans by blood and language. 
like them too they looked upon spain and upon the spaniards with feelings of distrust again as in other parts of the world so too in the netherlands the wealth of the church had led to grave abuses as well as to a loss of respect for ecclesiastical authority the latter of which was fostered in the minds of some by the spirit of mysticism that flourished in the land of st thomas at campus yet notwithstanding these favourable circumstances the reformation made little progress in the netherlands during the reign of charles v he was a man who understood the people and who respected their rights and privileges he visited the country frequently was always ready to listen to their demands and he took care not to offend their national instincts by a display of spanish troops or spanish officials besides having a freer hand to deal with the new religious movement in the netherlands than he had in germany he was determined to preserve his hereditary dominions from the dimensions and civil strife that had done so much to weaken the empire he insisted on the proclamation and execution of the decree of the diet of worms against luther forbade the spread of heretical writings introduced the inquisition and punished with great severity those who were found guilty of attempting to tamper with the faith of the people but despite his efforts the trouble that had broken out in the neighbouring countries france and germany could not fail to find an echo in the netherlands and the views of calvin and luther found some support in fifteen fifty five charles retired and was succeeded by his son philip the second fifteen fifty five to ninety eight the new ruler unlike his father made no effort to win the affections of his subjects in the netherlands or to attach them to himself by bond of loyalty on the contrary he came amongst them only too seldom and after fifteen fifty nine he never set foot in the country he showed himself careless about their commercial interests regardless of their constitutional rights and privileges and indifferent to their national prepossessions instead of relying on the native officials and nobles to carry on the administration of the kingdom he sought to strengthen his own power by appointing spaniards to offices of trust and by sending spanish troops to suppress all symptoms of discontent he set aside the grand council which by custom had the rights of a parliament and without consultation with the authorities in the netherlands he decided upon a new ecclesiastical division of the country hitherto there were only four bishops whose sees were subject to foreign metropolitans philip decided that the time had come when the number of bishoprics should be increased and the jurisdiction of foreign metropolitans should be abolished the main reason that influenced him to adopt this decision was the fact that as matters stood a complete and far-reaching scheme of reform could not be put into operation in conjunction with pope paul the fourth he arranged fifteen fifty nine that the spanish netherlands should be placed under the three newly erected archiepiscopal sees of utrecht cambria and mechlin and that suitable provision should be made for the maintenance of the new bishops out of the possessions of the monasteries and of the ecclesiastical institutions as well as from the contributions of the laity many of the nobles were already tired of the spanish rule and were not unwilling to look favourably on the religious struggle as a means of securing independence they objected to several unconstitutional acts of which the government of philip the second had been guilty they disliked cardinal de granville the prime minister in the netherlands and insisted on his recall they objected to the introduction of the inquisition and they protested against the new diocesan division as unnecessarily burdensome to the country and an infringement of the rights and privileges of certain individuals the clergy and people 
whose positions were affected by the new arrangement, supported them strongly in their opposition to this measure. The leaders of this movement were the Count of Egmont and William of Orange, the latter of whom was a clever politician of boundless ambitions, who was not without hope that a rebellion against Spain might be the means of securing power in the Netherlands. His brother, the Prince of Nassau, had adopted Calvinism, and William himself was not troubled with any particularly strong religious convictions. By his marriage with the daughter of Maurice of Saxony, he sought to assure himself of the support of the German Protestant princes, while at the same time he was intimately connected with the Huguenots of France, and was on terms of the closest friendship with Counts Egmont and Horn, both of them, though for different reasons, hostile to Philip II. For William and for many of his abettors, religion was but a secondary issue, provided only that by means of a religious revolution the power of Spain could be overthrown. Cardinal Granville, the minister of the Duchess of Parma, who was then regent of the country, was a strong man and a dangerous opponent, for whose removal the party of William of Orange strove with all their might. They succeeded at last in 1564, but despite all their efforts they could not prevent the publication of the decrees of the Council of Trent. They met together in the following year, 1565, and formed the union known as the Compromise of Breda nominally for the preservation of their constitutional rights, but in reality to promote a political and religious rebellion. Many earnest Catholics, unaware of the motives that inspired the leaders of this movement, lent them their support. Having strengthened themselves by negotiations with some of the Protestant princes of Germany, the revolutionary party presented themselves before Margaret of Parma at Brussels to demand redress, 1566. During the course of the interview, Count de Berlemont, referred to them as a crowd of Gukes, or beggars, and this was the name they adopted to designate their party, thus Gukes. Though they professed themselves willing to maintain the Catholic religion, the friends of William of Orange had strong leanings towards Protestantism. Calvinist preachers flocked in from France, Calvinist communities began to be formed, and in districts where the party found itself powerful enough to do so, attacks were made on Catholic churches and Catholic worship. These outrages served to indicate the real tendency of the movement, and to drive into the opposite camp many Catholics who joined the party, merely to secure redress of political grievances. The Duchess of Parma, having failed to put an end to the disturbances by friendly negotiations, determined to employ force against the rebels. She was completely successful. William of Orange fled to Germany, and Counts Egmont and Horn surrendered themselves to the mercy of the king. 1567. Had Philip II known how to take advantage of this victory, he might have put an end to Calvinism in the Netherlands, for as yet the vast majority of the inhabitants were at heart loyal to the Catholic Church. But instead of coming to make a personal appeal for the allegiance of the subjects, and of trying to win over the malcontents by a policy of moderation, Philip II, more concerned for the suppression of heresy than for the maintenance of Spanish rule, sent the Duke of Alva, 1567 to 72, with an army of 10,000 men to punish the offenders and to wipe out all traces of Calvinism. Alva was a soldier who had distinguished himself on many a field against the Turks and against France. His character is sufficiently indicated by the title, The Iron Duke, given him by those who knew him best. He had no faith in diplomacy or concession. For him, martial law was the only means of reducing rebels to subjection. The Duchess of Parma, 
unwilling to share the responsibility of government with such an associate, petitioned for her recall, and the Duke of Alva was appointed regent of the Netherlands. Two leaders of the rebellion, Counts Egmont and Horn, were tried and put to death, 1568, as were also many of their followers. The goods of the rebels were confiscated, soldiers were quartered on the districts, which were supposed to be sympathetic with the movement, and martial law became the order of the day. But the cruel measures adopted by the Duke of Alva did not put an end to the rebellion in the Netherlands. On the contrary, the contempt shown by him for the constitution of the country and the rights of individual citizens, the excessive taxation and the license given to the soldiers and their treatment of civilians, served only to embitter the issue and to drive even moderate men into the path of rebellion. William of Orange, backed by his brother Louis of Nassau, made descents upon the country, while vessels manned by their supporters set themselves to do as much harm as possible to Spanish trade. With the aid of England, they managed to capture the city and port of Brill, 1572. Several of the northern states threw off the yoke of Spain and acknowledged William of Orange as their ruler, so that in a short time the provinces of Holland and Zealand were practically lost to Philip II. William of Orange tried to obscure the religious nature of the campaign by proclaiming religious freedom, but his followers could not be restrained. The Catholic churches were attacked, the clergy were expelled, and in 1572 nineteen priests were martyred for the faith at Gorkum. Holland and Zealand went over completely to Calvinism, nor were the southern provinces, which were still Catholic, contented with the rule of Alva. Driven to desperation by his taxation and unconstitutional policy, they formed a league with the followers of William of Orange to put an end to Spanish rule in the Netherlands. Philip II began to realize that he had been unfortunate in his selection of a governor. A deputation that was sent from the insurgents was received kindly, and Alva's resignation of his office was accepted. In his place, Don Luis Wequesens was sent as governor of the Netherlands, 1573-5. to Though inferior to Alva in military school, he was much superior to him in the arts of diplomacy and conciliation. He withdrew promptly the financial decrees that had caused such general discontent, yielded to most of the demands made by the people, and offered a general amnesty to those who would return to their allegiance. It required all the skill of William of Orange to prevent the submission of his adherents. Disappointed by the removal of the grievances that had provoked a national uprising, he was forced to have recourse more and more to the religious issues in order to maintain his power. He proclaimed himself the protector and champion of Calvinism, and as such he could still count on the aid of the northern provinces. Unfortunately, too, at the very time when the success of his policy of mildness seemed assured, Werkrisens died, leaving it to his successor to complete his work. Don Juan of Austria, the natural son of Charles V, who had won renown throughout the world by his annihilation of the Turkish fleet at Lepanto, was appointed in his place. Before his arrival, the southern and northern provinces had bound themselves together in the pacification of Gent. 1576. Don Juan was obliged to accept the terms of the pacification and to dismiss the Spanish troops before his authority would be recognized. William of Orange, secure in the north, determined to occupy the southern provinces, but his public profession of Calvinism and the religious intolerance of his followers prevented a combined national effort. 
the catholic nobles of the walloon provinces objected to the protestant campaign that was being carried on in the name of liberty and showed themselves not unwilling to come to terms with don juan the latter only too glad to meet them halfway issued a very conciliatory decree fifteen seventy seven which secured him the support of many of the catholic party and partly by force partly by negotiation he succeeded in winning back much of what had been lost on the death of don juan fifteen seventy eight alexander farnese son of the former regent margaret of parma was appointed his successor being something of a statesman as well as a soldier he lost no opportunity of endeavouring to break the power of the prince of orange he devoted a great deal of his energies to the work of detaching the southern provinces which still remained catholic from the northern which had gone over to calvinism the intolerance of the calvinists and their open violation of the religious freedom guaranteed to all parties tended to the success of his plans during his term of office belgium returned its allegiance to spain and this step put an end to the hopes entertained by the calvinists of winning that country to their side meanwhile the northern provinces were entirely in the hands of william of orange in fifteen seventy nine the five provinces holland zeeland friesland geldern and zutphen bound themselves together by a solemn compact in the union of utrecht under the name of the united provinces and practically speaking established a dutch republic they agreed to make common cause in war and in peace and appointed william of orange as stadtholder for life a short time later fifteen eighty one william of orange notwithstanding all his proclamations regarding religious liberty forbade the public exercise of the catholic religion and refused to allow the new archbishop of utrecht to take possession of his see in these circumstances nothing remained for the pope except to appoint a vicar apostolic to take charge of the religious interests of the catholics who formed two-fifths of the population of holland but even the vicar apostolic was soon banished from the country in fifteen eighty four william of orange was assassinated and his son maurice was appointed to succeed him the english government anxious to strike a blow at spain encouraged the dutch to continue the war and dispatched troops to their assistance after the defeat of the spanish armada the situation was much more favourable to the rebels and at last in sixteen o nine a twelve years truce was concluded on the expiration of the truce the war was renewed without any very striking success on either side finally in the peace of westphalia sixteen forty eight the independence of the dutch republic was acknowledged by spain from the very beginning of the religious revolt in the netherlands calvinism was the sect most favoured by the people as is evidenced by the confessio belgica in fifteen sixty two the university of leyden decided in its favour as did also the synods of Dordrecht in 1574 and 1618. The Catholic minority in Holland were treated with the greatest severity, but in spite of all the efforts to induce them to change their faith, many of the districts remained completely Catholic. The Catholic provinces, which remained true to Spain and to the Catholic Church, suffered very severely from the long-drawn-out struggle but despite the ravages of war they were soon the centre of a great religious literary and artistic revival the university of louvain founded in fourteen twenty five developed rapidly under the generous patronage of the civil rulers during the sixteenth century it was recognised as an important centre of learning whither scholars flocked not merely from the low countries but from all parts of europe 
throughout the reformation struggles louvain and douay the latter of which was founded in fifteen sixty two by philip the second to assist in stemming the rising tide of calvinism remained staunch defenders of catholic orthodoxy though the unfortunate controversies waged around the doctrines of baius and jansenius did something to dim the glory of the university to which both belonged the jesuits too rendered invaluable service to religion and learning particularly the men who hastened to offer their services to father van boland in his famous acta sanctorum nor can it be forgotten that it was in these days catholic belgium gave to the world the great flemish school of artists amongst whom must be reckoned such men as rubens van dyck and jordings end of chapter three and of section fourteen